Good morning. Will you stand and sing with me? There was a moment when lights were known. Death and claimed his victory. The king of love had given up his life. The darkest day in history. There on a cross Final breath and nails finish, but not in the For the earth began to change. Now, what sacrifice
seated. Great to see all of you this morning. I hope you're having a wonderful Wednesday morning. Very special event on campus today during the lunch hour. I'll always come before you and talk about the Baptist Student Ministry hosting Flow Free Lunch on Wednesday, but today is one of those unique opportunities this semester hosted by the International Office and the DBU Women's Auxiliary Board. A free lunch on Wednesday is an opportunity uh, for you to come today and experience some food from different cultures and around the world and interact and get to know international students. So it's not just for international students, it's for everybody today, but hosted by the International Office and the Women's Auxiliary Board for uh, to come and just have community among the nations today. So that's at noon in Piper Hall uh, today uh, with the BSM, Women's Auxiliary Board and International office. I just want to say that it is always such a privilege, students, to be able to come and worship with you and sing with you in chapel. Chapel is such a sacred hour uh, at DBU, and I will give an official introduction of Dennis Prager, our speaker today, in a few moments, but I wanted uh, to spend a few moments emphasizing something to you. Over the past decade, uh, DBU has uh, spent time each year talking about uh, and having discussions related to religious freedom and the role of faith in uh, the public square. You'll recall speakers, maybe if you're an upperclassman last year, like Bob Fu of China Aid discussing international religious liberty and Sam Brownback, the former U.S. ambassador for religious freedom. We also have a William Wilberforce room on campus and partner with the 21st Century Wilberforce Initiative who advocates for religious liberty uh, throughout the world for all faiths. We have discussed the importance of disciples of Christ living their faith uh, in the public square and advocating for religious liberty uh, for all. Each year with our new students, we host the Pinson Baptist Heritage lecture Lectures, and one of the themes of, of that lecture series is the Baptist commitment to religious liberty. Uh, religious liberty has been part of the Baptist DNA since the founding of our country, when great statesmen like John Leland petitioned James Madison to include freedom of religion in the Bill of Rights. So we want you to be able to, to be aware and talk intelligently in the marketplace and in society about religious liberty in our country and our world. Even though it is one of our nation's deeply held values, as Christians, we can advocate to protect religious freedom in our country as our Baptist forerunners were so effective at doing. So today we continue our theme in chapel of discussing the importance of religious liberty in American life. And we have with us today to speak in chapel, Dennis Prager, a respected and influential thinker in our country and strong advocate for religious freedom. He is an accomplished author and speaker. He's a graduate of Brooklyn College, majoring in anthropology and history. He spent his junior year abroad. I know students, we have many of you who travel abroad for study abroad and mission trips. He spent his junior year abroad at the University of Leeds in England. Uh, he attended the Russian and Middle East Institutes at the Columbia University School of International Affairs. He's now a best-selling author, talk show host of the Dennis Prager Show and co-founder of Prager U. He taught the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, verse by verse, uh, from the Hebrew for more than 25 years at the American Jewish University in Los Angeles. He is the author of many books, including The Ten Commandments, Still the Best Moral Code, Happiness is a Serious Problem, a Human Nature Repair Manual, and Still the Best Hope, Why the World Needs American Values to Triumph. He is also the creator's, creator of a series of biblical studies called The Rational Bible. So we're 
thankful to have Dennis Prager with us today. Look forward to hearing from you in a few moments after scripture and prayer and after we sing again. At the conclusion of today's chapel, I will come back and close us in prayer today as Mr. Prager will have to slip out to go uh, and broadcast his radio show here from the DBU campus today. So uh, he would love to greet you after chapel, but will need to slip out to go uh, and begin his radio show for the day. So I'll come back and close us in prayer and dismiss us uh, this morning. Dr. David Reyes, DBU Dean of Spiritual Life, is going to come and lead us in scripture and prayer. So as is our tradition to stand and honor of the written word of God, would you stand as Dr. Reyes leads us? Our scripture today is from Deuteronomy chapter six and verses five through six. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Let's pray. Father, we give this chapel to you right now. Lord, you run it, you guide it, Lord. We are so thankful for the opportunity to pause and gather uh, to encourage our hearts today, Lord. But I just pray in every life today, the things that are going on around us, things that are going on in our hearts, Lord, may we cast that to you right now and just let you lead in this service. Lord, as we uh, hear from you, Lord, speak to our hearts through worship through the word. We love you. That's one thing I pray.
Hi, everybody. It's great to be at DBU. My name is Dennis Prager. I'm just curious, and I will not be offended if there are crickets. How many of you are familiar with me or PragerU? All right, wasn't crickets. Well, it's a, it's a real honor to be here. This is a terrific place. And I wish I had more time than I even do, but I do have to do my radio show. I would be happy to stay here hours, and maybe we'll arrange it one time, just hours for questions and, and dialogue and so on. So, by the way, it was very touching to me that the reading was from Deuteronomy in my five-volume commentary on uh, the first five books known as the Torah. Deuteronomy is the last one I, d I did. I have two more to go, Leviticus and Numbers. I didn't do it in order, obviously. You'll find it of interest to know that religious Jews say that exact sentence 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. Every single day, three times a day. It is the, along with the credo, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the, the, Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, uh, is the uh, most important statement in the prayers of, of Jews. For your edification, I will tell that sentence to you in Hebrew, which I know better than the English, so I, you might have gathered I was deliberate on every word. V'yahavta et Adonai Elohecha. And I'd like to offer you a thought on that, since I like to react to what is exactly happening. And what was happening was that verse. So this may sound a bit heretical to you. I actually find it one of the reasons that I do indeed come to love God. It's interesting, is it not that there is a commandment from God to love God? Now notice, in all of life, wherever there are laws, there are only laws with regard to something we would not naturally do. There is a law against murder because people naturally commit murder. There's no law to breathe. There's no law to love your child. People instinctively love their children. Why is there a law to love God? Because God knows he's not necessarily lovable. I know that sounds heretical. To me, it is the opposite of heresy. It is a statement of how real the Bible is, how real God is. A lot of people suffer in this world. They don't find it all easy to love God. So God knows that and says, nevertheless, you must work to love me. It is actually a statement of humility on God's part. I know I'm not that lovable, so I'm telling you to love me. I love the Bible because it is real. I love real. So I wanted to offer that thought to you on today's verse. Okay, my message is essentially this. With the collapse of Judeo-Christian values in this country, this country is in jeopardy. It is as simple as that. This country was founded by God-centered men and they knew that if the country ceases to take God seriously, it will cease to exist. I have bad news for you, being real, I never thought I would say this in my lifetime, America is in jeopardy, okay? It is, it is really as clear as that. People do not yearn to be free. Freedom is a value, not an instinct. The human instinct is to be taken care of, not to be free. Freedom is therefore a value, as I said, not an instinct. If freedom were an instinct, most of the world, most of the time, would not be tyrannical. Freedom is an aberration. Tyranny is the norm in history and in the world today. The norm is not freedom. People do not yearn to be free. People yearn to take orders and be taken care of. Look at Australia and New Zealand today. 
People cannot leave their homes for more, than th- for more than an hour or two and no more than three miles. And they can't talk to anybody outside because there is another God, the God of safety. Safety is one of the many false gods of our times. In the name of safety, people will give up their rights like that. And that's Australia. And to a certain extent, Canada and to a certain extent, the United States, certainly my state, California. When I go to Texas, I feel as I did when I went to communist countries in my 20s, because my field of study was communist countries. I learned Russian, I went to the Soviet Union, I went to communist countries, and then I would go to Western Europe. When I leave California to Texas, I feel like I did when I went from communist countries to the West. It's eerie. It is absolutely eerie. I wrote a piece on that. People don't yearn to be free. This country was made free, and here's the key, by deeply religious men who understood no God, no freedom, who taught that God wants us to be free. This is a unique project in the world. That is why the French gave America the Statue of Liberty. They didn't give it to themselves. They didn't give it to Belgium. They didn't give it to Germany. They didn't give it to any Asian country. They gave it to the United States of America, which is remarkable since the motto of the French Revolution was liberty, fraternity, and equality. But the French Revolution was not God-based and ended up with the guillotine. American Revolution was God-based and ended up with freedom. When people came here from all over the world for this freedom. However, half this country doesn't value freedom because half this country is secular. My column this week, which I would love you to read, it's easily found on my own website or many others, and it is, it is titled, As America Becomes, let's see, did I say more secular? Yeah. As America becomes more secular, it becomes less free. An atheist cannot deny that those two propositions. America is less free and America is more secular. Now, they may deny that they are correlated, but they cannot deny that they're both facts. But of course they're correlated. You think it's coincidental? That as America gets more secular, that more and more, what is it now, 25% of your age group define themselves as nuns, and I don't mean N-U-N-S, I mean N-O-N-E-S, no religion. And that's part of the reason that uh, 40% of your generation, according to Pew Research, says the following, we're for free speech, but not for hate speech, which is preposterous. The whole point of free speech is that it's free speech for hate speech. If there's no free speech for hate speech, there's no free speech. It proves they went to college that they don't think clearly. It's proof. Anybody who says that has not thought at all clearly. So there's only free speech for what you like? That's not free speech. It's like the old Soviet joke. What's the difference between the United States and the Soviet Union? It was, uh, let's see, in the, uh, in the Soviet Union, there is freedom of speech. In America, there is freedom after speech. 
When I was a kid, the Nazis, real Nazis, not people they call Nazis, real Nazis, swastika-bearing Nazis in the United States, marched uh, in Skokie, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, because a lot of Holocaust survivor Jews lived there. So they particularly wanted to re-traumatize those poor souls who lost all of their families in the Holocaust. Every Jewish group I know of, every liberal group I know of, every conservative group I know of defended the Nazis' right to march in Skokie. Because when I was your age, this country valued free speech. It does not today. This is the greatest sea change in American history. Free speech was never threatened in all of American history until now. And it is directly correlated with the secularization, the anti-religiosity of the left in this country. If you have a, another reason, I'm totally open to hearing it. That is my reason. Religious Americans seem to support freedom more than secular Americans. Now, there are many secular Americans who do and some religious Americans who don't, but the generalization is valid. That's one example of the consequences of, of the decline of religiosity in this country. Let me give you another one. And this one may hit home because I would be very interested in doing this experiment with you. When I did this at, in a Christian school in Los Angeles, now admittedly they were younger than you, and I did this in a, uh, at a religious Jewish school in Miami, the answers were distressing. This is a question I have been asking since I began speaking in my 20s. Imagine you're a dog. I would have, well, I would have kids raise their hands. They were talking about high school kids generally. Raise your hand, I would say, you don't have to do that now, if you own a dog or, or another pet that you love. Almost all the hands go up. I said, okay, imagine you're walking by the seashore and you notice your dog is drowning. And you also notice a stranger is drowning. Which would you try to save first? I have been asking this question for about 40 years. The same exact response 40 years ago and today. One third vote for their dog, one third for the stranger, and one third doesn't know. They find the question too difficult to answer. Two-thirds of Americans would not save a stranger before their dog. That too is a function of secularism, but the sad part is a lot of religious kids voted for their dog too. As I have often said, secularism has affected religion more than religion has affected secularism in my lifetime. What's wrong with the answer, my dog? I'll tell you what's wrong. When I ask them, why would you save your dog first? They say, I love the, my dog, I don't love the stranger. I follow my heart. Consequence number three with the death of religion. People follow their heart. How often does the Bible warn you against following your heart? A lot give a very precise theological term, right? 
A truly religious person does not follow his or her heart. They follow what God wants them to do. That's a huge difference between secular and religious. They follow their heart. I, I have spoken in, in, in probably hundreds of homes in, in the course of my work. You don't know how many homes I have been in, and they're wonderful people. And they will have a plaque somewhere in the house, follow your heart. And, I, and I, I'm not rude, so I say nothing. But I'm tempted to say, please get rid of that plaque. Don't follow your heart. The amount of evil done by people following their hearts is enormous. Follow what is right. Follow your heart? Isn't follow your heart the road to most sins? <laughs> I mean, follow your heart? I, I try not to follow my heart, to be perfectly honest. You know when I follow my heart? In deciding, will I have Chinese or Italian for dinner? That's a perfect time to follow your heart. When there is no moral issue involved, it is great to follow your heart. What kind of music do you want to hear at any moment? Follow your heart. There are a lot of times it's okay. But in any moral arena, it is the worst possible advice. That's why they save their dog before a stranger. And by the way, let me answer. People have come up with every possible refutation of my, of my question. Well, uh, Mr. Prager, wow. <laughs> what if the stranger were Hitler? There's also people who went to college. And uh, uh, first of all, they have just undone the question. If I know it's Hitler, it's not a stranger. So it's, a, it, it's, it's, an absurd, it's an absurd response. But secondly, if Hitler were drowning, I would help him drown. Oh, that would be the answer. Dog or no dog, how can I help you drown, sir? <laughs> People don't think clearly. It's a very serious, very, very serious problem. We are created in God's image. Dogs are not. And I have two dogs that I love. We're in God's image. That's, that's the basic principle, correct? Man is created in God's image. Animals are not. It's one of the big distinctions between us and animals to a person who takes their Bible seriously. Another, another example of the consequences of uh, the death of religion. I write in the introduction to my, my books, The Rational Bible, that like almost, well, I don't know, almost all, like many, many people, I had issues with my parents when I was late teens and early 20s. However, there wasn't a time that I did not honor my parents. There wasn't a day in my life that I didn't honor them, no matter what I was going through with regard to them. And there was only one reason. I really did believe that God commanded me to honor my father and mother. And as I teach in my, my, my commentary on the Bible, again, the genius of the Bible, uh, and oh my God, that's embarrassing, my own phone. <laughs> that, that, that rarely happens, I must say, and I, you know, the anger I have to that person is completely irrational, but nevertheless, 
I, I must admit. God forgive me. So I teach that the, the, the brilliance, why wouldn't it be? It's a divine book. There is no commandment to love your parents. Love the stranger, love God, love your neighbor. The New Testament, love your enemy. But no, no commandment to love your parents. God is okay if you don't love your parents. He's not okay if you don't honor them. And there is no one else, no other being that we're told to honor. So I honored my parents whatever difficulty I had. And I am convinced that the death of the Ten Commandments, part of the death of religion in our society, is a big reason why we have more alienation of children from parents today than any time in American history. More adult children do not speak to a parent than ever before in America. I'm angry at my parent, I act like they're dead. And their secular therapist said, go to it. You don't have to talk to your mother. You don't have to talk to your father. No Ten Commandments hanging in most therapists' offices, offices, correct? My life has been dedicated to one overriding message, the consequences of secularism. The lack of freedom or the, the dying of freedom in the West, certainly in the United States. Human worth, where people actually, do you know that uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals, do you know what they said? That's the largest animal rights group. They actually said that if a pig heart valve can save a human's life, you do not kill the pig. You let the human die. How's this? They have a program. You could check it out. It's still there on the internet. Holocaust on your plate. PETA said that there is no difference between barbecuing chickens and cremating Jews. That's a policy. That is his policy statement in a whole program called Holocaust on your plate. Because the secular world sees no difference between a human and a chicken. Why would it? This is the message you have to bring out as religious people. You must bring out issues. Do you know I have spent 90% of my time arguing for the necessity of God and 10% of my time arguing for the existence of God? You have to first convince people why it is so important to have God and Bible. That's the first thing you must teach. Otherwise, they won't hear you. It's a secondary question, the question of the existence of God. First understand how important God is. For a lot of religious people, they believe in God, but they don't know how important it is. They don't know what I just told you they don't know. That's a big deal. And finally, it is a pure function of secularism that people are supposed to say men give birth. That is pure, undiluted secularism. You know what we believe, you believe, and I believe? Male and female, he created them. They believe in non-binary gender. We believe in binary gender. 
because we believe that God created the human being male and female and that is a distinction we will not allow to be destroyed. You agree, I agree. Religious Jew, religious Christian, same book. That's why you invited me. That's why I'm talking on your behalf. Obviously, we're not theologically identical. You're not theologically identical, and identical to Catholics. There's a lot of theological difference in, in America. Fine, not an issue to me. But the ultimate issue of is the Bible the source of, of what I believe or is the New York Times the source of what I believe? That's the issue. In the New York Times, men give birth, men menstruate. Men, men identifying as women can race and compete against females in sports. And feminist groups all went along with that, supposedly there to protect women. You got a big battle on your hands if you're religious. And you'll be hated. Just know that. I have no issue with being hated. It's, I, I, it's a gift God gave me at an early age. And it is, I admit it. I actually get a kick out of the hatred. And, and the, there, there are whole websites that attack me. And, and it, I, I show it to my wife while munching on, a, uh, on, on an ice cream cone. I mean, it, 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 it just... It, it, you, but by the way, I get an immense amount of love too. Just please understand that. I'm not a martyr in any way. I have a phenomenal life. But you must be prepared to be hated. If you want to be thought well of, get out of the religious business, okay? Resign now. And that's, that's what being religious is about. Standing for these values. But look at the consequences of their decline. I have, I have many articles, I have a thousand articles on the internet aside from my books. And one of them was how I found God at Columbia. And I'll end with that. And it says that I should end with a sort of prayer. That's a sort of prayer, what I'm about to tell you. When I was at Columbia University, I was alone. It was almost as bad then as it is today. Today it is a cesspool. Then it was just moral chaos. And I remember walking on 116th Street and Broadway on the campus and thinking, why are such bright men teaching me such nonsense? I was going sort of crazy. And then a phrase in, in the Hebrew came into my brain. It was the one time in my life I had an epiphany. Not a theophany, God didn't appear to me, but I had an epiphany. Out of nowhere, something I had last said in first grade in Jewish school just came into my brain. I hadn't said it since first grade. Reshit Adonai, wisdom begins with fear of God. And that was it. It changed my life that moment. There's no wisdom at Columbia because there's no God at Columbia. No God, no wisdom. The secular world produces knowledge, but not wisdom. That's your fight, God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you.
As I mentioned in my introductory comments, Mr. Prager is going to be broadcasting his radio show here, here from campus and has to go get prepared and started with that. So let's stand for a closing prayer, and Mr. Prager is going to step out, and I will lead us uh, in a closing prayer. Our great God, today we come before you and we express our love and loyalty and commitment to you. God, I am struck today by a command uh, to love you uh, and your call to us to surrender completely to you. May no one in this room, God, resign and walk away from their faith when things get difficult. But as our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, said that we are blessed when people insult us, persecute us, and say all kinds of evil against us, for great is our reward in heaven, because in the same way, they persecuted the prophets that went before us. May we live faithfully, boldly, for your kingdom and your purposes. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, that we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great day.